Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017 and is located just down the street from Lincoln Center in the Lincoln Square neighborhood of Manhattan. Our channel will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our LSQ church family. We hope you'll subscribe as a way to stay connected during this season of uncertainty and social distancing. Today's reading is from Exodus chapter 20, verse 13, and Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 24. You shall not murder. You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Amen. All right. Good morning. Welcome to Redeemer Lincoln Square again, and um, welcome to our series on the Ten Commandments. We've been going through a series on Ten Commandments, and today we reach probably the one that most of us would say is the simplest one. Uh, the command itself in English is only four words, right? It's, it's you shall not murder. Uh, and However, in the Hebrew, it's even shorter. It's actually two Hebrew words. Translated literally, never murder. And the King James Version, which some of you know, which is thou shalt not kill, is actually the worst translation you can go to because there's a big difference between killing and murdering, which we're not going to get in today because those are the finer details of things. And I don't believe that was really the point of the command. Instead, what I would like to focus on is the simplicity of the command, but then also the fact that even as simple as this command is, it probably has the most wide-ranging implications, ramifications, the most, the most searching and wide-reaching of them all. Because I, and, and I believe this command is such a big deal, we're going to have to, I think what I'd like to do is spend two weeks on just this command. We've been doing each week one command, but today I want to break it up and I want to do two parts and focus two weeks on these two Hebrew words. Because I believe the profundity contained in them cannot be just uh, done in one, in, in one sermon. So today what I want to look at is we're going to look at more of the essence of the command. And next week we're going to look at how wide and how far-reaching the implications are. We're going to build the foundation today. Um, but then what we're going to do after that is we're going to actually find out the applications next week. So today let's look at three things. Let's look at the sin forbidden here, the joy required, and then the truth that must be discovered. That's how we're going to break it down. The sin forbidden, the joy required, and then the truth that, is, that must be discovered. So first, the sin forbidden. As we've been saying every week, we've been saying that the Ten Commandments are sort of like the blueprints. They're the owner's manual. It's the, it's the essence of what a life rightly lived looks like. And very simply, I don't, I'm not going to put too much time into this. What this is saying is, 
there's something about not murdering, something about inherent, there's something inherently wrong about the willful, wrongful destruction of other images of God. That the, the ceasing of somebody else's life. And doing so rips at not just your heart, but the fabric of reality for everybody else as well. And I think we kind of know this because even if you're not a believer here today, we know death is not right. We, so there's something inherently we know like that's not the way it's supposed to be. And if death is not right, then clearly then causing somebody else's death is not right as well. Now, the problem is, if we stop right there, most of us will say, finally, we've gotten to a command that we can do. We got to one. And we can check this one off and everything's great. And I, it's because of that intuition in all of us that I believe for, for centuries people were like, yep, we got this, we got this. That when Jesus shows up, he sits down and he's, he says, I need to now show you and reveal to you what this command is really about. And that's why we put in our text, we put in the Matthew 5 passage, which we're going to go through. Because look, if you look at 5 verse 21, he says this, he goes, You have heard it said, you shall not murder. Right? You, you all think you know that, what that's saying. And then he goes in verse 22, But I say unto you, and then he goes through three things that expands what this, what this command is really saying. And I'll list them for you. One, he says, if you're angry at your brother or sister at all, you're subject to judgment. Two, he says, if you say raka to your brother or sister, and we're going to go into what that means. But three, then, if you say in, in any way that you are a fool, he goes on, the, the, the text says, you will be in danger of the fire of hell. And so what Jesus is saying is, all you people who think that, that you never actually physically killed anybody, that you think you're good. Actually, though, if in your heart, in any way, if you've ever damned somebody, if you ever cursed them, if you ever cut them down, if you ever put them down in your head, that's its own type of murder as well. And so uh, the word raka here is actually, is, it's an Aramaic word. It's, it's not translatable very well. It it does mean similar to what Jesus says here. It means fool, or it's, it's a generally a statement of contempt. It's a, a curse word, some people believe. That's what you called somebody, not just when you were angry with them, it's when you wanted them gone. It was a dismissive thing. You, wanted, you wished them ill will. And so what Jesus is saying is, this is kind of a murdering as well. That's actually worse than just the physical manifestation. Because it's a slow burn. It's a, it's a dislike that begins in the heart. And so I think we can say this. Sure, when you dislike somebody, if you say, you know, I just I don't like that person, that generally doesn't lead to physical murder. But the truth is, you can't murder. In fact, murder only happens first if you dislike them. That's how it always starts. It starts with the despise. It starts with, with probably, often, of a hurt feeling in ourselves where we say, hey, this is not okay that they've done this. But the problem is, is then we twist it, we sneer at them, we belittle them, we resent them, we demean them. I think some of the, the phrases used today, we cancel people, we turn them off, we, we run away from them. We, um, we do this no matter how justified we feel in doing this. Jesus is saying that's actually mini-murdering. And so what I've actually asked myself this week is, how many friendships have I walked away from? How many, how many people who 
I've felt hurt by them, and so I've, I, I've, you, know, you start slowly pulling yourself away. Maybe they messed up. And your response is not, to just, is not physically doing anything to them, but in your heart. Jesus is addressing that. Now, this is where the moment <laughs> when people go and they bring up the objection, they say, wait, 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 wait. What about people who are abusive? What about people who are toxic in your life? Aren't you supposed to pull away from those individuals? And the answer is, of course. There are real situations. There are abusive relationships. There are toxic situations. And 100% you should pull yourself out of those places. That where there, there's this abuse happening for mental and physical safety, Please hear from me, yes, that there, those are real situations and you need to pull yourself away. But how many times have we labeled people that in our hearts as a, a way to justify, to pull away so that we can do raka to them? See, I, I, the, there's, there is the, the, valid, the valid abusive and toxic relationships, but then there's the kind of ones that we label everything that as a grounds to then exclude other people. And so what Jesus is actually trying to get at is there is an everyday tendency i believe he's pointing out the everyday tendency in the human heart to divide demean and exclude other individuals and if we sit in that for just a second we go wait a second and this is actually something that happens a lot potentially daily in our lives it's the little slights um how many folks have have i mean this is i'll just point in my life how many times have you just in your own heart you see somebody not wearing their mask in the past couple months, and you're like, Ugh. and now you start seeing people that are wearing their masks, and you're like, Ugh. you kind of see who our group is based on the laughter, which side I was, but we, that, that's happening every day, every minute, and those are just the small things. How about the bigger ones? See, we're not murdering anybody physically. But when you cut them down, or in your heart, you're just, it's, just that, it's that sneer. I don't have, know a better word for it than, ugh. That, it's, that, 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 it's, that, it's that intuition. And I believe we do this all the time. And so we walk away with, from people. We're like, we're done with them. I'm not going to put myself around them. We walk around, away from people like that. I've seen people walk away from churches like this. People walk away from institutions. You're just like, you know what? I don't need that. And it's not murder, but it's a mini murder in the heart. And I think what Jesus is trying to say is, if we allow those mini murders to fester, if we allow them to grow, let's just say, you know, you're a finite individual right now, but let's say you lived on infinitely, and that, and that murdering spirit stays inside of you. I believe that it will eventually get out. Kings and queens of old, right, the monarchs of old, you can, you can read about them. It, they could at any moment, on whatever whim, they could have you killed, right, if you're in their kingdom. So the problem is, if you're a king or queen, yeah, if you had that murder spirit, you can actually act that out quickly. We, fortunately, don't have that ability, most of us. But what Jesus is saying is, if you give it enough time, you will find a way. So what he's getting at is, the difference between you and somebody who's actually a murderer is somebody who murders has the, has the physical conditions around him or her to execute what was already in the heart. And you might not have that right now, but you have the same spirit. And that's what Jesus is getting at. And I don't know if we really sit and say that to ourselves. I don't know if we walk around with a, a cognitive, conscious understanding that that is the disposition of our space. And so instead of us never breaking this command, I believe every time you say you fool, the intuition of that concept as a seed in your heart 
give it enough time, it will grow. And so when we sneer, when we roll our eyes, it's the dismissive attitude, it's the canceling, it's the walking away from, I believe that's leading to the the breakdown of the fabric of the world. And we're at the center of that. It's a mini-murderer that mars the other person because in those moments we don't treat people like the images of God that they actually are. And therefore it mars our own souls in the same place. Because we're not treating people like the sacred individuals that they are. We're not treating people, we're not protecting them from the killer instinct inside all of us. Instead, you know, we, do, we assassinate and we erase. Uh, recently, I've noticed an uptick just in my own um, ministerial life. I'm being asked more as a pastor, more than ever before, to weigh in on political issues. Uh, just this week, I, I got asked, what was my view of the, the Palestinian-Israeli conflict crisis that's going on right now? And what I told the individual is, I said, you know what? There are many scholars out there with many PhDs that have studied this a ton more than me. And the trouble is, if you read them, they'll tell you they have a hard time knowing what particular stance that that you should have. And so in truth, it's a very, very complicated matter. And I personally, and I had to admit this person, I said, I don't actually have a very well-formed view. Because I really don't know the, the intricacies of the the political and the racial and the class and the historical conflicts over time. I I just haven't, I can't get my mind around all those things other than a very cursory understanding of it. And so I didn't feel like I I had the place to to answer. And I have to be honest with you, I feel like it's an impossible job for any pastor to actually have a super well-informed view on all the major issues that are going on right now. And what I realized is I believe sometimes people ask those questions because they're, I don't believe they actually have a t- always a very tangible under, you know, outcome on your life, my, what my particular answer would have been. I actually believe sometimes people are, we're asking those questions because we're trying to grade out where other people stand on an issue. And potentially, it's so that we can actually know if we should divide ourselves from that person. Are they, do they have my view or do they not have my view? Do they have this view or that, that view? And so potentially unknowingly, we might be doing raka. We might actually be setting ourselves up to be able to say, the goal is, now I know I don't need to be with you because you don't have the view that I have. But if we really believe that everybody is sacred, every image of God is worthwhile to be around, that would mean then including all relationships and all conversations and all thoughts. I I really believe one of our problems in in culture is we don't have that unifying view. We have a disassociation view to pull ourselves away from, those, from other individuals. What if we saw all people, whether beautiful or ugly, fun or boring, interesting or annoying, having an informed political view or not having an informed political view, what if we saw all people made in the image of God and therefore God loves them all, that we too would have that view to be around those individuals? Treating anybody less than the image of God that they are, I believe Jesus is addressing that as the real sin forbidden here. That's what's happening. That's when we went in this in this uh, command. And so, should we get away from an abusive relationship and people? Absolutely. But there's a way to do that without murdering them in our hearts. And sometimes I really believe that's what we're doing. Do we 
and this is, this is the convicting thing that I had to ask myself, do I always see other people as precious and valuable and wonderful at all times? I don't. And do we act out that view, that people are precious and wonderful and worthwhile to be around at all times? I don't. And are we the ones who are cutting people off and cutting people down? That's what Jesus is forbidding. That's the first point. At Redeemer Lincoln Square, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastors and other members of our church community. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for our virtual worship service on YouTube every Sunday at 10.30 a.m. Eastern. You can find our YouTube channel at lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash YouTube. All right, so secondly then, what's the joy required? If we know that that that's, that we transgress this command, and we do. What is required to fix it? And this is where we need to say the command is not just forbidding some things. It's actually encouraging us and saying we're called to something as well. That if, if tearing down is what's being forbidden, then the opposite would be building up. If sneering is the problem, you know what the opposite of sneering is? Praising. So to put it very simply, what's being required here is joy. Why else would the Bible constantly say and tell us to rejoice in the Lord? And then he goes, and then again I say rejoice. Why else would the Bible say that the promised byproduct of the kingdom coming is joy? One of the, our theme verses here at Lincoln Square is Acts 8.8, 8, right? That when the gospel goes out, people rejoice. Not just people who are Christians rejoice. People rejoice in general. Redeemer Lincoln Square's vision is to joyfully reflect God's love together in the city. Why? Because the ultimate answer is that when life is experienced as joy, it changes the despair and the murder in our hearts. Period. And as strange and as, and as radical as that sounds, the answer to your murderous heart, just to be really general about it, is the level of joy that you actually have. The level of gratitude that you have. I really believe we would not be languishing, we would not be tired of other people, we would not be cutting people down, anyone and everyone, if we were sitting in the gladness of life, if we were sitting in the wonder of it all. And so what I forced myself to do this week is I said, okay, what is, we say joy, Michael just said joy, but what is that? What's the essence of it? And if you go to the philosophers and scholars, they'll say it's some equal parts. Uh, joy is, it means to enjoy something. But to enjoy something, there's some equal parts of, of both gratitude and giving at once. The best example I, I could come up with is um, imagine a concert. I know a lot of you haven't been to a concert recently. But when you go to a great concert and you hear the music and the music lifts you up, right, and kind of bring, takes you out of your existential you know, space and moves you somewhere else, when, it's, when the peace is over, you know what ends up happening? The natural response? Praise. You, you literally get up, you start clapping, sometimes hollering, you stand. There's an ovation. What is that? 
It's a couple things all at once. One, you're trying to give back what you just got. You just got all that joy, and you want to, the person or people who just brought that to you, you want to, you know, ovate, you want to thank them for what, what was just done. But you're also just responding to the art and to the moment in and of itself, too. And so, in other words, that means the more joy that you get in your life, the more you actually want to give it back out through praise of what's been enjoyed. And then it leads to more joy all around. And so let me just parse this out to show you how this works. The only way you will not be about death of others in your heart is if you're actually about life. But the only way you're going to be about life is if you enjoy. But the only way you're going to be able to enjoy is if you respond in life through gratitude and giving. And so if you don't rejoice in people, if you don't praise, I believe it's the other side of this commandment that you might be missing. So can you, and this is where it's convicting, can you and do you regularly sit in the joy of a moment? Whether If it's an image of God, do you sit with your friend and actually see it as such as that? Can, do you, is it a mountaintop? Is it a music piece? Is it a piece of art? It, there's millions of human moments to sit in the wonder of the image of God that's before you as a sign of the one who created them in the first place. And if you sit in it enough, that joy and that enjoyment will reflect back where you clap, where you, you speak about it, you talk about it, it inhabits your thoughts and your minds, and if it, you let that affect you enough, it changes you. I believe the problem is, is uh, <laughs> if you're a New Yorker, this is not natural. I've, I've heard other people say that it's, it's our, our God-given right to be grumpy and to be mad and to point out the flaws and problems with everybody else. I've grown up here. I know this is, this is how we see things. It's not natural to stop and sit and enjoy and be filled with awe and wonder, to live that out, to sit in it, to take that extra, extra step to give thanks. I've actually seen, um, I actually, I, you know, just because you, when you're scrolling through the internet, I saw some Brie Larson, who's um, a, 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 she's an actress, and she was, I think she was just talking about her, um, you know, these, these products that she's, she's advertising. So, so it was like one of those like infomercials, but really it was like, no, this is really Brie Larson's life. Um, and I'm watching it, but she's talking about how she gets up and she has that every morning she tries to just be thankful. And you're, you're hearing people just generally say, be thankful, because we know there's something about the presence of the human condition that needs to do that. But Psalm 126 says, yeah, the Lord has done great things and therefore... It says we are to be filled with joy. Of course, to say that, to believe that, then we have to take inventory of our life. And I believe it's really difficult to do that. Why? We're so busy protecting what we have. We're so busy just trying to survive that we can't. We're not thriving. We're trying to survive in the city. We can't start moving out and actually then try to know what it looks like to have joy in the city. But it's, it's, it's simpler than you think, guys. If you enjoy cars... You talk about cars. I think it's on Netflix still. You can, there's um, Jerry Seinfeld, the, the comedians in Cars with Coffee. It's just ode to cars and the design and beauty. You can tell he loves it and enjoys it, and so he talks about it. If you love the Yankees, you're that person who talks about the Yankees all the time. Because it's just that natural response. Do we talk about our Savior? Do we talk about the one that, we, that, that has loved us and so we love him? Joy and gratitude and giving, that's what's required. So last point. All right. So if we know the only way to have a fulfilled life is to have enough joy in it, 
How do we get that? Because if you're me, what you should be saying right now is, I don't wake up every day like that. That's not my natural response. That's not how we normally just operate. You know, it's like, keep on the sunny side. You just can't just tell yourself that. And, and just say, okay, today I'm going to be happy. If you stare in the mirror enough in the day and say, I'm going to be happy. I'm just going to be happy today. And people say to do this, by the way. Eventually, it doesn't, it's not, it, it probably works for a little while here and there, but eventually you're like, but I'm not happy. It's like the, like the joy cry, but I'm trying to laugh, but I'm not laughing. If murder begins with sneering and mocking and despising and hating, the opposite is, of hate is love and the opposite of mocking is praise. And we don't wake up every morning doing that. And it's actually worse than that, right? When we feel like people have taken from us, taken our joy, it's really hard to have joy. Because it's been stolen from us. And it's even worse than, than that <laughs> worst statement. Because not only is it being taken from you, as we just said, you're taking it from everybody else. The natural consequences for an alcoholic, if, you, if an alcoholic drinks enough, your liver gives out. The natural consequence, if you're smoking two packs a day, is lung cancer. You know what the natural consequence is for somebody who is regularly taking joy from other people, that's, that's regularly mini-murdering other individuals? The, the right law on that is that person deserves to be an outcast. That person deserves to forfeit their life. A life lived of sneering and many murdering is a life forfeit. So, what do we do? Just for a second, do this for, for a moment. I, I, I was trying to go back into the New Testament and say, okay, what? Jesus had joy. He was living, he was, but you know, it was being taken from him. He was being attacked, he was being misunderstood, he was being wronged. As I already said, if your joy is being taken, how do, how do you live? Well, it was taken, he was abandoned, and yet he stayed opened. His hands were, were open to us still. Why? Because his ultimate joy wasn't the things of the world. It wasn't even his physical life. We're told in the New Testament the joy set before Jesus was us. And so even when it, everything else was taken from him, he was able to have it. That he willingly went to the cross to take the judgment, to take the consequences for our actions. And because we were Jesus' joy, he could lose all those other ones and still have it. They laid down his life so that we can get ours back. He saw all the many murdering that we do, and he didn't say forget them, forget, forget all they are. Instead, he said, they might, don't end their lives, end mine. They keep wiping each other out. You know what? Wipe me out instead. And if you go to Romans 2, verse 29, there's a powerful verse there because what Paul says in Romans 2, verse 29, he says, stop looking for praise, stop looking for joy from other individuals. God is enjoying you. Get the praise from God. And it's a really weird statement because you're like, wait, how is God enjoying us? We just told you how. That when you enjoy something, you're praising them. That means somehow the God of the universe is praising you. He's clapping. He's, there's a, he, he's getting joy from seeing you, and he's giving it back. And, I, and it makes me, it blows my mind because I'm going, wait, do I enjoy him in that same way? That when we know that Jesus went into death because of our death, and now he enjoys us, do we enjoy him? And the, way, the obvious way to do that, supposed to be, is 
is sitting in the moment with him. We do that in worship. We do that in the moments of life where we say who he is, what he's done, what he's doing, what, what in the world is happening, where we're going, where the kingdom of God is coming, and basking in that moment by moment. I truly believe that the more you let that impact you, the more that you can sit in those moments, the more joy you'll get. That's the only place I know ultimately. Because everything else, if you put your joy in it, that's, that can be taken, and it will be eventually in your life. This won't. You'll be able to love and serve and let go of the rage and the pain and hurt from other people. I believe we won't rock a people anymore. We, I believe that we, we will be too busy enjoying him. If he was the joy set before you, that allowed him to still get joy despite everyone taken from him. Then and only then, if you make him your joy set before you, despite all the other people trying to take your joy, you'll, you'll still have it. The best, uh, one of the ways that I can point this out is in my own marriage. Right? In marriage, if you spend enough time, or just any real relationship, you spend a lot of time together, in, eventually you're going to wrong each other. What happens when you wrong each other? Usually what happens is you wait for the other person to fess up. Own what you did. You need to repent first. You know what happens, though? If the other person forgives you before they have, you know, before you own up to it, what happens when they forgive you? It's, just, it's, like, this amazing, it's like this amazing melting of the iceberg. All of a sudden, when they forgive you, regardless of what you've done, all of a sudden, you put the, f- the fist down and you go, you know what? I'm sorry for what I did. What's happened in that moment is that the only way that I know that you can stop doing the raka in your heart, when you go, you fool, you idiot, it's only because you feel superior to somebody else. When you know that you're forgiven in a relationship, you're much less likely to say you fool to somebody else because you know that you're, you're the fool too. It's only if you think you're better than them that you'll do that. So the only way that I know for you to be pulled out of the mini-murdering that you're doing is sitting not just in the joy that's before you, but in the forgiveness that's given upon you. And when you feel released from the debts, like just from individuals, from just people here, you're less likely to require it from individuals. What if we understood that on a, the cosmic level? Because what happens, I'll tell you the, the truth is, I still resent people. I still get annoyed. But it's only when I'm disregarding my own understanding of my own forgiveness, of that I've been forgiven. And so when I enjoy the forgiveness received from others and from the God of the universe, when I bask in that free acceptance, guess what? Now I'm, I'm accepting other people. I'm much more accepting of other individuals. Do you understand how counterintuitive that is of, of how anyone and everyone is talking out there right now? I really, everybody's talking about justice. Justice matters. We have to get justice. But we're not going to be able to do that without understanding the power of the joy that's set before you. And you only get that when you see the forgiveness given to you. Since he has infinitely given you forgiveness, now we can infinitely give it out. Friends, don't wait. Let's start today. The only way to stop the many murders of our hearts is to let the many joys of the world to penetrate. And we can go one step further and see the true joy of Christ's love for you, his forgiveness brings you the joy. And I promise you, you won't be out for blood in the same way. 
It stays your hand. And so what I've, what I've been trying to do just this week is to ask myself daily, who can I let off the hook because I've been let off the hook? Right? Who can, can I not move away from but actually move towards? Actually, if I've gone one step further. Who, who have I already moved away from that I need to re-engage? God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, if he's making all things new and he claims victory over all sin and death, when you place yourself under him, you will get joy. And then you can, get, then you can give it. Right? I want LSQ, I want Redeeming Square to be a place that brings joy to the city, but you, can't, you can only do that if you have joy. But you can only have joy if you're enjoying something. You can only enjoy something if you're filled with giving and gratitude. You can only be filled with giving and gratitude if we're marveling at the joy that he's given you because of the forgiveness that has come. Reveling and sitting in that becomes the driving force of our life out in the world in every other context. And that's why this is the order that we have to live in. Let's do this together, friends. Let's bring joy to the city by sitting in this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it's two words. Never murder with profound implications and applications. We're going to hear about them more next week. But I pray for just now, I pray that we let this wash over us. First, give us conviction. Most of us don't sit here wanting, you know, really reflecting on these, these mini assassination attempts. We think, oh, it's just an eye roll. Oh, we just think it's just a casual, well, that's those people over there. But that spirit is the, is the foundations of the, the, the brokenness of the fabric of reality. And I, I pray that that impacts us so that we go searching, looking for what, what's going to fix this. Father, help us to see that you made us your joy. That you're praising us even in the, in the heavenly spaces right now. And that, 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 does, that doesn't compute. Why? There's something about us that you desire to, be, to have, Father. You, and we're thankful. It's un, in some ways, it's unknowable. And we're thankful for it. And I pray that that would move us out in this world in profound ways. Change our hearts and minds so that it actually em empowers us to move into spaces we normally wouldn't, with people we normally wouldn't, in places we normally wouldn't. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.